All right, you're too quiet again. You like that? You praise the Lord for that? Amen, indeed. Praise God. Thank you so much, choir. What a wonderful time to rejoice and to celebrate that our, our Lord has died for us. Indeed, our Lord has risen for us, filling us with great joy and delight. Hallelujah. He is alive, as you have reminded us. Long live the King. Amen. Amen. Praise God. What a great part. What an important part of, I think, our Easter celebration to respond to Him with great joy in our hearts. Rejoice. Very fitting when we think about Christ being raised from the dead that we might celebrate with great joy. In fact, they were doing so from the very beginning, from the very first day in which He conquered the grave. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They worshipped him, filled with great and unimaginable joy. Can, can, you, can you even try to think of what that would be like to, to go from such extremes where you, where you go to a funeral of a, a very close friend or a brother perhaps, and there you mourn the loss, a tragic death. You watch his body being placed in the ground. And three days later, he walks up and says, Hello. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy good. Right? It's so much better than pastels and magical bunnies that lay candied eggs. Right? I mean, he got up from the grave. And that's worth singing about. It's worth celebrating. In fact, it is so important to the people who saw it that they labeled it as first importance. There's a wonderful text in 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to share briefly with you this evening how the church understood what Christ had done through the cross and the grave as to be first importance. The Bible says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Jesus not just died... He didn't just die a bloody, tragic death. His death accomplished something. His death paid for our sins, which is an amazing claim in and of itself. After all, every person who has ever lived has, has died, except those who are alive right now. And so what about this one man who walked this world and we said, well, his death is unique. His death paid for our sins. How in the world can we know that to be true? Well, we just have to read on. In verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He was raised, just as he said he was, to prove that his payment has been accepted on our behalf. And In fact, Paul says, don't take my word for it, by the way. He goes on in verse 5, he says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. He says it wasn't private. It wasn't some secret. Jesus walked this world for 40 days after he got up from the grave. He appeared to all sorts of people, appeared to 500 at one time. You go talk to him, Paul says. Most of them are still alive. You go and ask them. In fact, the appearance of Christ after he got up from the grave revolutionized the church to such a degree 
that, that, that changed their identities. It transformed who they were. And they began to proclaim this news. They began to proclaim that Christ has not only died, but he has risen. In fact, when Peter stood up at Pentecost in Acts 2, he declared, This Jesus you crucified, but our God raised him from the dead, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. By it. And of that we are all witnesses. Peter says, I've seen it. I was there. Acts 3, Peter preaches again, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts 4, the apostles are arrested precisely for proclaiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the high priest stands there before Peter and he begins to explain, or, or Peter begins to explain to the high priest that Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. Eventually he's released from prison. And the Bible tells us in Acts 4, verse 33, they continue to give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Acts 5, they're arrested again. They're defending themselves by saying, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. And we are witnesses to these things. We've seen it. We saw him. And they became changed men. In fact, Paul, Paul changed too. Though he came a little late. As he says there in verse 8, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. In fact, you read the next verse in verse 9. Paul explains, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I once was an enemy. I once killed Christians. I killed them with glee. I killed many of them. And now where does Paul find himself? In church with, I trust, people whose friends or maybe even brothers or sisters or children that he had executed. How how do you handle that? How do you sit next to someone? Whom, whom you, because of your sin, had their relative killed. And Paul says, I'm the, I'm the least. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. And he understands that he is not who he is supposed to be. Paul knows that he was not who he ought to be. You know that too, don't you? That you're not who you're supposed to be. I mean, we can't even keep our own standard, let alone God's. I think we all understand that. And so how does Paul get past that? How does he sleep at night? How does he wake and face the day knowing what he has done? He does so because he knows what Christ has done. That Christ has died for his sin. He has paid for his sin. And he rose on the third day to show that the payment was received. In verse 17, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. If Christ is still in the ground, we're all still in our sin. But if, if Christ is risen, we're no longer in our sin. We're in Christ. We're in Jesus. And God looks at us and he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the record of Christ. I tell you, friends, brothers and sisters, if you're in Jesus, you're no longer in your sin. You never shall be again. You are in Christ. And he looks at Jesus when he sees you. You are there free from your past. You are free from what people say about you. 
It should not have power on you. You shouldn't toss at night because someone snubbed you or sinned against you. You should not be downcast because of some transgression that you have committed. Jesus Christ has not only wiped the slate clean, he has thrown away the slate. There is no more valuation. There is no more judgment. There is no more condemnation because of the resurrection. The poet, I think, tells it well. Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Washed away. This is why they called it the gospel. In fact, at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. The good news. News has happened that is so incredible that it has changed the course of history. And I think it's very significant that after the resurrection of Jesus, the church decided to call the core of its message the gospel. The core of its message as good news. The reason that's significant is because every other religion in this world doesn't give us news. The core of of every other religion is not news, but it's advice. Every religion says, do this, don't do that, perform this ritual, go there, bow here, and it gives us instruction. All religions are same. Every founder of every religion says, if you live like this and you avoid this, then you can get to God. And the message is always the same. It's always advice. It's always commands. It's always instruction. And Christianity comes along and its core message is, is not advice at all. It's not what you must do to connect with God. Christianity's core message is rather news. It's what has been done already to connect you to God. Christianity doesn't give us advice. It comes and proclaims news to us. Good news that we must believe. That's it. Do you believe the news? Do you believe the gospel? The moment that you believe it, the moment that you submit to it, God forgives all your sin, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. And you are as loved by a holy God, the holy God of heaven, as you ever will be. May God win our hearts to him. Our Father, we thank you so much for the work of Christ. We have no hope apart from Jesus. We have no hope in whatever effort we perform or rituals we engage or service we offer. Our only hope is not in what we do, but what has been done by Jesus. Help us to rest in him. Help us to rest in Christ's work, knowing that we are accepted because of him. And help us to rejoice in it. Not simply rest, but find great delight that our Lord has conquered the grave for us. And so we continue to proclaim 2,000 years later with joyful and grateful hearts, our Lord is risen. Our Lord is reigning. And our Lord is coming again. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You are.